folks from Team Challenge are, are, are going to uh, sort of a provide us an update of what Team Challenge is up to and some, some testimonies and some more singing, which is awesome. Uh, some more scriptures, some more praying. It, it's going to be a good day. Um, praise God. So uh, some of the announcements uh, as we get ready for this baptism. Um, uh, if you hadn't heard already, uh, Michael Foose, our new pastor, uh, is on his way here. So we're expecting about mid-August. We're excited about that. Uh, Shelby and his uh, son, is, I think like seven months old now, Ju Judah, uh, will be uh, moving in across the way. So easy commute uh, for them. We'll be doing some work on, on, the, uh, on the parsonage to get ready for them. Uh, yeah, on, on your way out, there's a, there's a uh, handout, uh, sort of a mid-year update on, on what's going on in the church. Please feel free to grab one of those. We have a membership class uh, starting on the 11th. We already have 11 folks signed up for it. Uh, it's going to be at 8 in the morning before services, and so uh, it'll run for six consecutive uh, Sundays. Talk to Allison if you want more information, but there's a sign-up sort of in the, the back left as, as you uh, leave today. And sadly, uh, it says canceled. I, I want to say po postponed the picnic today uh, due to uh, um, nobody wanting to sit out in the cold rain all day for a picnic. We're going to move that until later, maybe when uh, Pastor Foose and his family uh, get here. But praise God for a, for a beautiful day. Uh, happy Independence Day. Uh, welcome to Faith Community Bible Church, and we are just looking forward to uh, worshiping with you. And what a better way uh, to start our worship than, that sounded cool, than with a baptism. So praise God. It's like entrance music. <laughs> Walk up to the plate music. <clears throat> that actually just the door's locked, so you can't leave, even if the service is longer than an hour and a half. You are here. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions from the flesh, which war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. What a glory it is to gather with God's people. Not a more glorious place to be on this earth than in God's house to worship him as a chosen race, a royal priesthood, people that once were not a people of God that now have been shown mercy and want to rejoice in a God who is most merciful. But we come to uh, celebrate uh, one of the great symbols that the Lord said that we con should continue to do, which is baptism. And uh, with friends and guests here, baptism is something that many of you have probably seen, perhaps in a variety of churches. And so we can kind of read into baptism more things from our religious experience than perhaps things that the Bible might say about it. And so just kind of help you think about baptism, uh, maybe we should picture something that we're more familiar with that doesn't have all of that religious background kind of pumped into it. What if we thought of baptism like a wedding? I had the privilege a couple of weeks ago 
to do the wedding for Peter and Karen Shower. Woohoo! And uh, and so we had, you know, of course the bride came down. We had the bridesmaids, the groomsmen, and uh, we had all of that. We went through different, you know, who gives this woman to be married to this man, and we, you know, did different things. They said vows to each other and that kind of stuff. But at the end, I looked at them and I was able to say, and everyone that's been married can remember these precious words, I now pronounce you husband and wife. And in a sense, we were before a whole congregation of people watching Peter and Karen get married. But in that moment, when I said, I pronounce you husband and wife, it was like just the three of us were there. It is a a verbal thing about you are now married. You are husband and wife. When we think about baptism, before we ever get into these waters, there's a time in which Rhea met with the Lord, found out who Jesus was, and God pronounced on her, you are my child. At the wedding, Peter and Karen walked in as two separate people. And then based upon the pronouncement, you are now husband and wife, they left as one. Right? And then in faith, right, our faith, as we come to the Lord and we cry out for mercy, what used to be us separated from God, God now brings us in with open arms and receives us and he welcomes us home. If you're here, and you're not a Christian, you're at a great meeting because you're meeting with the people who know what it is to not be Christians and then now to be Christians. So if you have questions about anything that's going on, you're going to hear multiple times today that everyone here was not born a Christian. No, no one here was born a Christian. There's always a time in our life where we weren't a part of God's family and we got brought in. And so you can ask us, what does it mean to become a Christian? We know what it is to be convicted of our sins, to know that we des- what we deserve and to find out that God's mercy exceeds our sins. To know that God sent his son to live the perfect life and die on the cross for all of us who would turn from our sins and trust in him. And that God would raise him from the dead and calls us to live in newness of life as well, turning from our sins and trusting in him. And so we pray that you can know that. Well, after I pronounced them husband and wife, they turned to the congregation there, Peter and Karen. And then I got to say these words, I now present for the very first time, Mr. and Mrs. Peter Shower. And everyone claps and celebrates, right? And so the baptism is kind of like that, right? Privately, our faith, we get saved. But then baptism demonstrates our faith. It is that presentation moment where we get to say, Congregation, I now present to you Rhea, right? She's identifying with Christ in his death. And in his resurrection. So what you're going to see is Rhea is going to go under the water, buried with him in the, in the likeness of his death. She's going to come forth, raised in the likeness of his resurrection, walking in newness of life. That's what we're going to celebrate today through baptism. And so in the same way we become a children of God through faith, God makes that pronouncement on us. And then baptism displays our faith as we get presented before the world that we are identifying with Christ in his resurrection. So without further ado, I wanted to bring Rhea in to share her testimony of how Christ sought her and for you to rejoice in how God brings people from every walk of life to himself uh, as they honor and cherish Christ. So Rhea, come on in and join me.
a bathtub up here. <laughs> um, <coughs> good morning. My name is Rhea Marie Bustelin, and I'm here to share the story of my journey into grace. Um, as a child, I spent a lot of time picnicking under the trees, following the bugs around the logs, digging in the dirt. I can remember the smell of the moist soil, the taste of the dewdrops that sat on the leaves of the enormous sunflower across from my grandmother's porch. It was like a great eye that never removed its gaze from the sun. Most of my childhood memories are feelings that are connected to the senses. So after it rains and I smell the moisture in the earth, or the honey-scented wind moving over the flowers. I remember what it felt like as a child to look upon God's creation with amazement. How perfect it is that God created an endless successional boom for the bees. When I hear thunder chasing the wind or the ping of the rain on the tin roof, I remember the joy of dancing in puddles and how I would lie awake at night wondering if there were bowling shoes big enough to fit God's feet when he was bowling. When I smell the aged paper in a library book, I remember how it felt to sit on my mother's lap, surrounded in love, while she read to me. How perfect we fit together, like a bee in a flower. When I look back on my childhood, I can see very clearly that God was always there, not just in my everyday life, but in my thoughts. That primordial knowledge of God has always been present, like it's written in our hearts. As we get older, I think we lose the wonderment that comes along with discovery. We lose that pure childlike connection to God. I often think it's because there are suddenly scientific explanations for the way things happen, and in part because life ceases to be new for us. We learn to rationalize, and bit by bit we forget to marvel at the world that God has created for us. In short, the cultures are immersed, that we are immersed in often teach us to rely more on our brains than our hearts. I have had a very colorful journey into adulthood. Like most teenagers, I was a terror. Somewhere around 12, my parents got divorced and I no longer went to church. And in all honesty, it was a relief for me not to have to dress up every Sunday and get dragged in to hear words that I didn't understand and sing songs that sounded straight out of Dracula with the booming hollow reverb of the organ. As time went on, I distanced myself from the Christian religion. I was so sure that religion and all of their formalities were the cause of war and hatred, division. I even thought that religion further separated us from God. I didn't like the idea of there being a middleman in a fancy robe. I didn't like the idea of being trapped in a church when I knew that God was waiting for me in a field nearby. I often referred to myself as spiritual when someone tried to force a denomination out of me. As an adult, I started to feel like something was missing. I had lived in the projects, anarchist communes, artist colonies. I've lived on farms. I've been even homeless for bouts of time. I've eaten out of the trash more times than I can count. And I had eaten in mansions and five-star hotels. Sometimes free apples and cheese taste just as good as a $200 meal. It's been an eclectic life. And then things took an interesting turn. 
At one point, I had a dream of riding my bicycle across the country surrounded by tall waves of grass. And being the impulsive person that I am, when I woke, I made arrangements to go on a bike tour. I had never ridden my bike more than a mile, but I just went with that gut feeling. My plan was to go start in the West Coast with a map of farms and gardens to visit and learn in as many practices and techniques as possible. I left with $1,000 that I had saved up in an account, and I imagined that it would last me a year if I was very frugal. And when I arrived at the airport in Seattle with my bicycle in pieces, the panic set in. All I had was a map and a small amount of money. I really didn't have much of a plan at all. The panic lasted about 30 seconds because in that exact moment, someone that I knew on the other side of the country drove by with a van, rolled down their window and offered me a ride to someone's bike shop where they put my bike together for free. God made sure I knew he was there. Every night, someone put a roof over my head. They fed me and they offered me a bed. I learned amazing things. The most important thing being that God's grace is extended to us through people's love. And absolute faith and reliance on God allows us to be children again. Things start to excite and amaze us again. When the night was starting to fall over the narrow mountain pass on the way to Anacortes, and there was nowhere to pitch a tent, surrounded by steep slopes and logging trucks, I thought for sure I was going to die. And then just like magic, a tiny little house appears in the middle of nowhere, and a truck driver named Rod <laughs> asked me if I need a place to rest and some dinner. When the derailleur on my bike, my bike broke, I hitched a ride with a man who turned out to have the exact part that I needed in his garage, which was set up as a bike shop. He also turned out to be the harbor master and helped me to get across to the San Juan Islands. I rode my bicycle to the Canadian border and then back down to the California border. And when I was gearing up to ride over Grant's Pass, which is a mountain pass between Oregon and California, my knee all of a sudden stopped working and I pitched a tent. Later on, I found out that the following day there had been a snowstorm at the top of the mountain and a couple died after getting their van stuck. Who knew there was snow in California? <laughs> um, apparently God did because he was there for me and it had never been clearer. After my knee healed, I packed up and I headed back east where I completed my bachelor's degree. I got a double major in horticulture, agriculture, and um, I felt God most when I was in nature. So that's where I wanted to spend all of my time. Now, at this point in the story, you have likely realized that I have not mentioned Jesus. <laughs> that's because I didn't know him. Upon my return home and my completion of school, I noticed that the feeling of something missing was still there. It's around this time that Jesus started to show up for me. It's amazing how direct and yet subtle God can speak to us. 
I think he knew that as an anti-authoritarian, <laughs> I would, re would resist anything forceful. So he fished for me. He cast out that line over and over again. And he waited for me to bite. And as it happened, I really love worms. <laughs> he threw out anarchist Christians. He threw out Quakers. He threw out communal hippie Christians. And then he led two of my closest friends to be baptized. And I saw how brightly the light shined in their life. He was very gently showing me my preconceived ideas about Christianity were wrong. He showed me how compassionate, kind, generous followers of Jesus really were. And eventually, Bible started showing up in random places, and I would pick them up, and I would read a little bit, and Jesus was amazing. About five years ago, my husband and I bought our first home here in Belmont, and I had been sick with Lyme disease and I needed to take a break, uh, change up my profession a little bit until I could figure out how to get better. After a year of suffering and forcing myself to do the gardening thing, I decided to quit and take that break. And while I was in intermission, a random idea popped into my head, be a nanny, it said. Now, I've cared for children my whole life. I have a huge family. I have a lot of close friends with children but I'd never done it before as a profession. But I went on the computer, I found the nanny site, typed in my location, picked the first person in that area, and um, that person ended up being Kate Jones. Again, God put his grace on full display for me. And there it was, the Bible, sitting on the couch during nap time, the children's book explaining Jesus as our savior, God being both subtle and direct. The recognition of God's constant presence in nature gave me the foundation of faith. But learning about God through Jesus has given me understanding. I now understand how inherent sin is in this world around us, in our own selves as well. The sacrifice that Jesus made for us is beyond humbling. To know that he stood in our place and accepted our punishment simply so we could be forgiven, so we could have a door to God, that's truly incredible. There is no greater love. God may be all around us, and his love is written in our hearts, but sin has separated us from him. And no matter how hard we tried, our relationship with God couldn't be as it was intended. Jesus' sacrifice gives us access to that right relationship with God. Death is no longer an enemy, and we have been saved by his love. I stand here today knowing that Jesus is the missing puzzle piece in my life. And I hope to be united with him by faith, and I want to identify with his death and resurrection through baptism. To know that Jesus is alive today is to know that he can save me today. 
there's no words to express the gratitude I have for this opportunity and for the gift of God's clemency. This next song is very fitting in light of Rhea's testimony. Good 
I didn't see any spiders get squashed, but I cried anyhow. going to hear a reading and it might seem strange after what well, we've just heard this testimony of God's goodness and we've we've sung of God's goodness and now we go to Genesis uh, chapter 4 it's on page 3 of your, of your uh, the red Bibles there take one of those home if you don't have one so we go to Genesis 4 and we hear of sin and 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 murder and and, and death right and but wow Ray has obviously got a gift with words and imagery. And if you think about just Genesis and what it must have been like in the, in the garden at the beginning before sin entered this world, and there is that scent of, the, uh, of that morning dew, that mist, the, the fresh vegetation, the, the, just the life that's around us. And then it does go into sin uh, as as the first man and the first woman sin, and then their children uh, begin to sin also. So from Genesis chapter 4, hear this. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought, on the, uh, brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I did not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. Let's pray and confess before the Lord. Lord, you are the, the, the God who knows all, who sees all, who is everywhere. And we feel like we can hide from you. We can lie give us all these good things. You, you as Reyes said, you, you cast your line before us in all these different ways. And, and yet, like Adam and Eve, we, we seek the pride of life. We seek uh, to be gods to ourselves and seek knowledge, seek uh, our own wisdom. And we sin against you in our pursuits. Lord, like Cain, we, we think that we can somehow, uh, out of our own efforts, produce something that is worthy of you. And if, and if it seems like you reject it, we, we get angry uh, with you. And we, and we work harder, we strive harder for ourselves, thinking that we can somehow earn righteousness. We sin against you. 
as we'll hear in the, in the coming weeks, we, uh, we quarrel against each other, we fight against each other because of our passions rising up, and we even murder, whether literally, physically, or in our hearts, Lord, we harbor evil thoughts against one another, we sin against you. Lord, we, may we not be like that. May we turn away from that. May we be like the descendants of, of Seth and Enosh who, who first called upon you. May we cry out to you, call upon you, instead of seeking our own ways. We pray this all in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Please rise as we continue singing your grace is enough.
Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your grace, Lord. Um, and even when we fall, Lord, when we walk away from you, Lord, that you are there for us. Um, and we just pray that as we go out this week, that we would show that grace to other people, Lord. Um, in your name I pray. Amen. Children ages three to fifth grade are dismissed. Unsure of the ages of Bible explorers. <laughs> So, um, again, welcome to Faith Union Bible Church. This is a cool, a different type of service and one that, I, praise God. I, it's like, um, but we have uh, with us uh, Teen Challenge, and they're going to give us an update on what they do. So I'm not going to take from their thunder anymore. And come on up, guys. Uh, good morning, church. Uh, thank you so much for inviting uh, Teen Challenge here to share with you the amazing things God is doing in our lives uh, through Teen Challenge. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Teen Challenge is a faith-based uh, uh, rehab for uh, boys and girls and men and women. It's 15 months long um, and introduces uh, life-changing hope to the addicts and their, and their families, and that life-changing hope is Jesus. Uh, due to uh, one man's faithful obedience, uh, David Wilkerson, uh, the first Teen Challenge was established in Brooklyn, New York, and due to this one man's faithful obedience, today Teen Challenge is one of the largest and most successful programs of its kind. Uh, we have over 1,500 locations worldwide, and we come from a 24-bed facility in Manchester, New Hampshire. Um, <clears throat> today you're going to hear the testimony of men who have been confronted by hope, who are walking in freedom and living with a purpose. Let me introduce to you the men of Teen Challenge New Hampshire. My name is Douglas. I'm from Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Um, I'm 38 years old. Uh, my story starts off, uh, you know, really early in life with um, my parents got a divorce when I was in uh, fourth grade. So I'm the youngest of six. Um, I have one sister, and growing up in that, growing up in my family, uh, I was introduced to drugs and alcohol really early. Uh, I was smoking weed and drinking, you know, in my early teens. Um, and uh, I wanted to be like my brothers and I wanted to be like them, you know. I looked up to them, I wanted to do everything that they did. Um, so that's what I did, you know. I, I drank and I smoked weed and I was rebellious. You know, wh when my parents got divorced, you know, there was a lot of chaos in the family and, um, you know, I was looking towards my brothers as a father figure and um, so, it immediately became an issue. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a person of extremes, and I found that out at an early age. You know, I was in my first rehab for just smoking weed when I was 15 years old. And um, ever since then, I've been struggling with it, you know, all kinds of, uh, of addictions. And, um, you know, going from uh, rehab to rehab, uh, I, I even moved, you know, a lot of moving around trying to think that that would change things as locations. And uh, so I went from New Jersey to Maryland with my dad thinking that would help. It helped for a little bit, but, you know, um, I was already hooked. You know, I liked, I liked the feeling I got from, you know, getting high or getting drunk and uh, just partying, the partying, the rebellious lifestyle, you know, it had, you know, obviously a lot of appeal to it to, uh, to a kid, you know, and it really took off. 
um, you know, moving around, just just crazy relationships, um, going from state to state, went New Jersey to Maryland, um, didn't work there, I moved back home to New Jersey, uh, moved to New York, and um, just all over the place, but everywhere I went, it was just chaos and problems, because, you know, I was an alcoholic, um, and I like to party, you know, I wasn't living, I, my life wasn't for Christ, my life was, you know, for myself and my own ideas and dreams, and it was just insane, really. Um, I got introduced, my brother, to, uh, to Percocets, and I started taking uh, Perc 30s. I didn't know what they were. There's a tiny little blue pill. I didn't think anything of it, and before I knew it, you know, I was, I was uh, you know, physically hooked on it. I tried to stop taking it, and I got really sick. I didn't know what was going on. But, um, you know, that quickly escalated, long story short, that quickly escalated to all kinds of drugs. You know, I did uh, every drug out there, um, overdosed on heroin numerous times, you know. Um, yeah, um, you know, I did a year in Camden County Jail in, uh, in New Jersey uh, due to that lifestyle and uh, breaking the law and doing all this stuff. And there's an there's a officer in Cherry Hill, and, you know, he was arresting me a lot, okay, and uh, – you know, <laughs> he was arresting me all the time, and he was, he was uh, you know, I was in the back of his cruiser. I was crying, and he's like, you know, Doug, do you believe in Jesus? I'm like, yeah, I believe in Jesus. He's like, look, man, you keep on living like this. You could die and go to hell. And I was like, wow, that's pretty intense to have somebody talk to you so direct. But it, it, he scared me enough to have me really think about this important question, you know, about my life and if I cherish it and where I was going to go. Uh, if and when that time happens. So he told me about Teen Challenge. He said, you know, uh, I think Teen Challenge is a place that could help you out. And uh, when he told me, I thought about it, but I had some other uh, great ideas and plans of my own still. <laughs> and uh, those did not work out either. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, as broken as I was, you know, it's a 15-month program. I definitely didn't want to do 15 months anywhere and give up my life, um, put everything down, and to do something like this. But, uh, you know, I did it because I just I was just so broken. I was so done. I was like, look, 15 months, 15 years, I don't care. You know, I'm just done with this life. I don't want to be doing it anymore. And uh, I came to Teen Challenge. Um, you know, I was told there was going to be a, an oasis, like a farm, and there was going to be ponies and all this. It's none of these things. <laughs> right. uh, yeah, so I was kind of tricked into getting there, but, you know, it worked. <laughs> it's awesome it's in the mountains it's beautiful it's it's uh you know we're we're in manchester <laughs> and uh you know when i when i got there i was i was pretty shocked but it was just what i needed you know um i i didn't uh, i did not read the bible i didn't know anything about the gospel um they they had me go out to uh lake winnipesaukee i was baptized out there and you know ever since then i've been walking in the spirit and um I just can't go. I could go on and on about the uh, just how awesome Teen Challenge is, what it's doing for the kingdom of God, and uh, how powerful it is. Uh, today, you know, uh, there's two scriptures that are really on my heart. Um, uh, the first one is Philippians 3.10, uh, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and sharing his sufferings, um, becoming like him in his death. And the other is Revelations 12.11, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And he loved not their lives until death. And that for me is, you know, it, it, it really helps me, uh, you know, with depression and anxiety, you know, not loving my own life and really caring about how things really work out or turn out. Like being at Teen Challenge can be very frustrating there. 
but just uh, just you know my relationship with God and and getting to know Him and that being the overwhelming factor of everything that I'm going through today is is my testimony. Thank you. Not a lot more people than I thought. <laughs> I'm usually used to churches of like four. So yeah, my name is Andrew. Um, we come out to various churches, and um, we just share what's going on um, in Peace Island. Um, but I'm just going to give a brief explanation of what a uh, daily life for a resident may look like. Um, so we originally uh, tend to start the day off around 6.30, uh, 6.25, but five minutes early for everything at Teen Challenge. Um, we come downstairs, and we have devotions where we'll pick a a specific part of the Bible, and we'll go over it together as a group and see what each other gets out of it. Um, from there, we'll have breakfast, um, have the house nice and tight. Um, when we're out in our mess, we usually neglect things like that, so um, there's a lot of structure, um, but it does help us quite a bit. Um, from there, we have intercessory prayer, um, where we pray with one another after each other's needs, and um, also we pray with the prayer cards that um, my brother Jordan will explain later. But um, yeah, from there we have lunch, and the process ends uh, with us, again, having prayer at the end of the night. Um, so there's a lot of fellowship, a lot of structure. It's not easy, but um, this program definitely works. Um, if you go to the next slide, please. Um, so, yeah, we have our curriculum. Um, we have a lot of scripture memorization and Bible reading. That allows um, the Bible to become very alive to us. It's just no longer words on a page for us anymore. We're able to apply it to our daily lives. Um, we have group studies and um, uh, such as um, anger and personal rights, for example. We're able to work on deep-rooted issues within ourselves because once the drugs are removed from our lives, it's much easier to find um, those deep-rooted issues that we desperately need to work on. And uh, five-minute messages, they're due every Sunday. Um, I love them because we're able to uh, really dig deep into the word and um, uh, just do a self-reflection per se, and it just makes it really... Uh, remarkable what God can do and uh, such a simple task. Next slide, please. Um, so we do a lot of outreach. Um, we come to churches like this, but we also do go into the school systems. As you can see um, in the left-hand picture, that's uh, me, my brother, Gavin, and Nate. We're going into a school in Methuen in that one. Um, so yeah, our EPIC program, Education, Prevention, Intervention, Connection. Um, we believe that there's no better way than to end addiction than prevention in the first place. So there, we go into the school systems, and we just share about where we once were and what God is doing in our lives now. We're able to tell them that they do not, in fact, have to experience the same pains, um, the same traumas that we had to go through, experimenting with drugs and all the dangers of that. Um, in the right-hand photo, uh, let me back up. Um, that's our uh, end addiction team. You may see us at a variety of gas stations, uh, convenience stores, or whatnot. We're out there selling our handmade cutting boards that are made by the residents in the program. But we're also uh, telling people that there is hope. And we do have a program. We do have beds available. It was actually one of the ways I was able to find out about Teen Challenge. Um, so it is really important what we're doing out there. Uh, next slide, please. So we also do a lot of contract work. Uh, that's one of our properties on Lake Winnipesaukee. Um, there we're able to work with our hands and do something beautiful with them. Other than our past lives, we're causing nothing but harm. Um, so it's a great thing. It's not your typical work environment. Uh, man, Dan Bisson, he works with us. He's a Christian. 
owner, and uh, we start the day off praying on the job site. And it's amazing to see what uh, God can do. Next slide, please. So our fall banquet that's uh, held in November at the Double Tree in Manchester. Um, it's basically like a choir, but on a much larger scale. Uh, there we have alumni and staff, staff speak. We have a bunch of miscellaneous raffles that uh, take place, but it's a good time for people to come and see the fruition of, um, and all the fruit that's coming from Teen Challenge by them pouring into our ministry. Next slide, please. Um, so our golf tournament, uh, that's our next event coming up. I personally do not know a lick of golf, but <laughs> I can guarantee you if you're on my team, we'll be playing pinball in the trees. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, no, if, if, you, if you really are interested in that, I encourage you to come. It's a great time in the sun. You can fellowship with another resident and see what God is doing in your lives as well. Next slide, please. So our Highly Rise for Freedom, that is the event that just happened. It was a great day to get a tan for sure. Um, there we had it at um, the Harley Davidson in Manchester. Um, it was a great turnout this year. A bunch of bikes came out. They go for an hour ride, come back, have a barbecue, and a live band takes place there. Um, this year we gave away a 2020 Street Bob. Um, so it's definitely interesting. <laughs> it, was a, it was a great day. Now next slide, please. Yes, gift wrap. That is definitely by far my favorite experience that I've had in Teen Challenge. Um, I'm, I'm not going to lie because I'm in church, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's long, strenuous hours. Um, we're given scissors and wrapping paper, and you learn on the spot. Um, I just remember sweating profusely, and I'm just <laughs> overwhelmed with anxiety, uh, similar to now. But uh, <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, but yeah, you can see him on the left hand side. Um, my brother Gavin wrapping a un very unorthodox gift, I think it's a unicorn. Um, <laughs> me in the middle flexing, don't mind that, that's not important, but what is important is that we're providing a service. Um, and there you can see um, Rick McNeil and his wife, Jen. He's actually a graduate of Teen Challenge. He actually volunteers his time to come out during this time. Um, and my brother Alex on the right-hand side. But yeah, it's um, a lot of people come up just wanting their gifts wrapped. They don't really know what's going on. We don't know what's going on. But God works in those moments. I was actually able to uh, introduce somebody to Christ. And um, it was very emotional for me. I had to go in the back room and uh, get myself together because uh, I haven't been that happy uh, in my life, so that was a great time. Next slide, please. Uh, camp Rio, uh, that's coming up uh, next month. And uh, there we have the main campus and the Manchester campus come together for a time of fellowship. Um, and there's a lot of alumni speaking there. Uh, great words are given. And um, we have a lot, also a lot of recreational activities. We didn't, unfortunately, have the blob uh, last year, but um, we also have... Uh, tubing and uh, baptisms that take place there. It's a, it's a beautiful thing to experience. Next slide, please. Um, Camp Champion, also like Camp Rhea, but again, much bigger. Uh, we, there we have all the 11 centers in New England come together for a time of worship. Um, there was actually where I was baptized, and um, there you can see chains fall, people just breaking free from the bondage of addiction, all to come together for one purpose, and that just to give all glory to God, which he absolutely deserves. Next slide, please. Uh, family restoration. Um, yeah, God will do something <laughs> tremendous um, once we're able to stop our um, idolatry of addiction. He will restore our families. Uh, we have family ministry the second Sunday of each month, and there it provides a healthy environment for the families and the residents to come together. Um, really no agenda, just uh, time to get off whatever it is on their chest if they need to, and um, just work through their issues together in a 
really godly setting. Um, next slide, please. Uh, graduation, uh, that's something we all look forward to at Teen Challenge. Um, there we're able to celebrate a man, woman, boy or girl um, that has persevered and um, developed great endurance to get through such a tough program. Because again, Teen Challenge is extremely difficult. But um, when you do complete it, it, it is amazing what God can do. Um, and Teen Challenge, unlike other programs, offers a lot of aftercare. Um, there, at the 12 months mark, you're able to look for work um, and also provides an internship. You can do six months, and um, from there, it's, it's a lot of freedom, but you can also stay on as staff ever if you um, decide to. But it's a good place to learn real hardcore ministry, and it prepares you for um, a really intense life, a really radical life for Christ after that. Um, so yeah, that's about it. Thank you. My name is Aaron. I'm 47 years old, and I had a problem with alcohol for over 20 years. Um, it started out socially, drinking from buddies, and progressed from there. Um, I drank and hit it uh, for a while, and in my 30s, um, I met a woman who came into my life. I tried to hide my drinking, and we got married. She said it's time for you to stop drinking. I told her I'd stop and continue to drink, but I was hiding it. And uh, we had four wonderful children. Um, they're now nine, seven, five, and three. Um, but as some of you know, marriage isn't always a bed of roses and fun times. So when the tough times hit, we had issues, I turned back to what I knew, and that was a bottle. Um, we had some financial issues, and I started drinking more, and it got to a point where I was consuming a gallon and a half of vodka every day, and it would take a pint of vodka for me to wake up in the morning and get behind the wheel of a car and drive to work. And I continued my days like that for over a year until my first heart attack. Um, I wish I could say that was a wake-up call. And I wish I could say that I had everything, you know, changed then. But I didn't make it home from the hospital before picking up another sip of vodka and consuming it before I even got home. And I went about that way for three months before my next heart attack. Just when the doctors told me I wasn't gonna make it out of the third one, um, I'd lost all hope. Um, I hadn't talked to my wife in a while. Um, but laying in that hospital bed, seizing, shaking, you know, going through withdrawals, and not being able to support my own weight because I'd lost so much muscle now. I called her up. I told her what insurance policy was. And goodbye. And I rolled over and didn't expect to wake up. But God had a different plan for me. Um, I woke up two days later. And uh, still withdrawing. 
still trying to get the alcohol out of my system. And uh, someone poked their head in the hospital room door. And uh, he was at the wing I was on visiting the people that helped him detox 10 years before. He was there. I was on the wing he was on. Um, I was four rooms down from the room he was at. And uh, he said, when you're done with this, I got a place for you. Found out later on, I was the admissions coordinator of Teen Challenge. Um, Teen Challenge is run by former addicts. And uh, he was a former alcoholic. So he knew where I was at. Um, but I dismissed it as, you know, some guy coming into some stranger's hospital room. And I was a wreck and still didn't have much hope. So six days later, I left that hospital. And I picked up another bottle. At this point, everybody was done with me. Um, next morning, my best friend was banging on my door going, not doing this. And the wife's not going to raise four kids on her own. So we called up Teen Challenge and uh, found out Grant's, <laughs> he had already taken it to staff meeting, my case, and uh, I'd been died and denied it. Uh, <coughs> sorry. I was denied admittance for my health. I was walking with a walker and couldn't make it up the stairs. But he said, when you're done and you can make it up the stairs, I got a place for you. By the grace of God, I put down the walker 24 hours later, and I made it up those five steps to Teen Challenge, um, not knowing what I was getting into, being around a bunch of guys who were pouring into me, praying over me, still shaking, still seething. I started to heal. Um, at this point, my liver was a third larger than it should have been. I had um, a mass on my kidney and scar tissue on my heart. But the healing was there. Um, I was at Teen Challenge for 12 months. After a few months, I started getting my family back, my wife, my kids. And the relationship was going great. But after 12 months, uh, pride had also set in. I thought I had it handled my wife missed me and I missed sleeping next to my wife being a father so 12 months into a 15 month program I left Teen Challenge three months early I went home and I was a good father and got the job I got the company car I got the company cell phone and everything was absolute bliss for about six months I thought I could be like some everybody else. And uh, I picked up one more beer. Now round two happened much faster. Within three months, I was a thousand miles from home. I woke up in a hotel room by myself with an empty half gallon of vodka next to my nightstand. A Bible I hadn't picked up in six months. But I knew where to go to heal again. I called Grant. He said, if you can make it back here, we got a place for you. 
So I came back to Team Challenge December 7th, 2020. Um, I've been here seven months now. I'm sober. And I don't know what God has planned for my family right now. But uh, I haven't talked to my kids in almost a year. But I do know one thing, I'm getting through it this time. And this time I got to change my life. Thank you. How's everybody doing? Good. Um, as you guys were walking in, getting to your seats, uh, you noticed there was prayer cards there. So if anyone doesn't have one and you can't find one, going to have to play rock, paper, scissors because we don't have that many. <laughs> but um, on the left-hand side is a spot for your basic information. And uh, this is so we can keep you updated on various events like the Harley giveaway, the golf tournament, the fall banquet, and the uh, gift wrapping during Christmas. And on the uh, right-hand side is a spot for your prayers. This is the most important part. You know, no prayer is too small or too big for God. And uh, everybody's got prayers they need, you know, and um, like uh, jobs, finances, you know, loved one that's struggling. Everybody sitting here right now is an answered prayer, you know, especially myself. I've been struggling with addiction for about 10 years, same with my father. And uh, by the grace of God in prayer, he's also at Teen Challenge in Maine. And, um, you know, we do intercessory prayer here twice a day. And, uh, you know, it helps put everybody above ourselves because we were selfish and now you know it feels good to pro pray for others and uh, we'd really like everybody to have one today so if you can on the way out just hand uh, hand one to one of my brothers at the table and uh, thank you and God bless um, hi again <laughs> so yeah um bit about myself. I am 24 years old. Uh, originally from Lawrence, Massachusetts. I um, come from a highly dysfunctional family. Um, my dad was an opiate addict and um, both of my sisters are still currently addicts unfortunately. Um, and yeah, my, my dad was very abusive toward us growing up. Um, I knew of the Lord. He would preach about Jesus but then the next moment he was like beating my mom to a pulp the next. So um, it, was, it was very perverse, demented um, view that I had on Christianity. I didn't quite understand it, but um, yeah, so it, it was difficult growing up in the neighborhood, being the minority. So as an attempt to fit in, I began to experiment with drugs. Um, yeah, so at a young age I was doing um, cocaine, ecstasy, um, whatnot. But yeah, my, at the age of 13, um, I was molested by a friend, and, and um, in order to numb all that guilt and shame within myself, I began to um, uh, steal my dad's prescription painkillers, uh, and I immediately became hooked because no longer did I not feel that guilt and shame anymore, but I didn't feel anything at all for that matter, which was uh, highly appealing to me. Um, so with that being said, I, I had a lot of trust issues, a lot of, all I knew was evil, pe just people with hidden intentions, hidden agendas, everyone was just selfish, and uh, I, I never knew love at a, at a young age. Um, but yeah, fast forward to age of 17, my, um, my old man, he got clean by the grace of God. Um, so I would stop taking his pills. Um, he quit cold turkey, no withdrawals, no nothing. Um, and I was so proud of him. But unfortunately for myself, that's when I switched to uh, heroin and methamphetamine for just a stronger and cheaper high. Um, and ever since then, my life just went on a 
very dark downward spiral. I've lost multiple jobs. I've had several broken relationships. Um, I've had two OUIs, and I've told them, like, ah, and every, everything I just seemed to do in life um, didn't seem to amount to anything. Um, and like Doug, I had numerous overdoses, um, at least 15. And I, I recall being revived in the ambulance every time, crying out to Jesus, literally saying the name Jesus over and over again, bawling my eyes out, uh, asking him why, because I didn't feel worthy of his grace and mercy upon my life in those moments, because I just continued to put drugs before him so selfishly. Um, and I, I just couldn't understand his, um, his grace. It was something that was surreal to me. Um, but yeah, my addiction took a turn for the worse, and I, I've tried secular programs, I've tried maintenance drugs, nothing could ever fill that void that I had within myself. Um, but yeah, my, my dad, he, he, he recommended Teen Challenge, because he uh, did a lot of research, he heard about the high success rate, and the fact that it was faith-based was absolutely something I was willing to consider, because I was just so utterly hopeless, I, need, I needed something more. And um, I got to the point where I was going to the emergency room at least twice a week. My family had enough, my girlfriend had enough, and uh, I, I definitely had enough. Um, so I made the decision to come in. Um, so I came in August 3rd, so I've been uh, in the program 11 months now, clean and sober from everything, and it is, um, it's been quite a journey. I um, now have a group of brothers that I genuinely love, that I would do anything for, and vice versa. Um, we're seeking the Lord first thing in the morning instead of drugs. I, um, I, I feel alive more than I ever have in my entire life. Um, but yeah, due to all the trauma that I've experienced at a young age, I went to a severe psychosis. And um, so I'd, I was in a state of psychosis for 10 years, and God has absolutely delivered me from it all. He has delivered me from all my cravings. He is continuing to bless, to bless me and open doors left and right for me. Um, and it was, uh, Teen Challenge was very difficult um, the first six, seven months because I wasn't able to talk to my girlfriend uh, due to the... Um, strictness of it. They didn't allow anybody to speak to their significant other if they weren't married or nor did they have children. But um, through prayer and fasting, God opened a door for me to see her and work on our relationship immediately right after uh, the prayer and fasting. Well, that absolutely increased my faith. I, since while being in the program, I've been able to um, bring people to Jesus Christ. Um, I'm on absolute fire for the Lord. Uh, and there's no, there's no going back for me. Um, the scripture that I stand upon today is Psalm 116, 8 and 9, and it states, For the Lord has delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. And, you know, that, that right there reminds me that all the trials and tribulations that I've endured within my lifetime didn't occur for nothing, but it actually had to happen because I was just so selfish and stubborn in my mess that I had to come down to all these moments for God to wake me up, smack me in the face, and say, Andrew, this is not the life that I have for you. Um, so I am grateful for all the trials that I have had to endure. And the suffering that I have now, it, it's, it's completely different. It's an absolute privilege to suffer for his name's sake. Um, but yeah, again, thank you so much, Pastor Josh, and um, thank you, church. So um, prior to coming in Teen Challenge, I um, was trying everything not to come, right? Um, 50 months, it's crazy. Um, but I tried to get into other programs and whatnot. Um, 
I, there was a huge waiting list due to COVID and due to my lack of insurance. It, God was making sure that that wasn't going to work out for me, right? So um, for those of you unaware, Teen Challenge is a, a 501c3 nonprofit organization. And because we are Christ-centered, we don't receive any government assistance other than food stamps. Um, you know, if the, gov the government would have to take Jesus out of the equation, um, and we're just simply not willing to do that because we know that he is the reason for um, having true deliverance um, in this life. Um, but yeah, if you, if you uh, the best way you can support us today um, um, and partner with us is with the resident sponsorship. A resident sponsorship is a dollar a day or $30 a month. And if you sign up for a sponsorship today, uh, you'll receive a gift, one of our Christian classics, which is just three stories of uh, Christian wisdom. But yeah, of course, we know the best gift of all is knowing that one of you has played a vital role in someone's life, helping pave the way uh, for somebody like myself to come into a relationship and experience the love of Jesus Christ. So again, uh, we'd love to give at least 15 of these away today, but of course we're um, very appreciative of any support that we do get. Uh, so yes, uh, thank you.
God, thank you guys. I'm going to be reading from the book of Luke, chapter 10. You can find it in your Red Pew Bible on page 869. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? May God bless the hearing of his word. stand and worship with us again.
Let me see if I can connect a couple of themes from all these beautiful stories to the story as we prepare for communion. We just sang, Build My Life. And I think that song that we sung as a prayer, we need God to build our life because we have done a great job at breaking our life. Life is broken. And we see that, and we heard that in small ways from Rhea. Definitely heard it clear as a bell in Cain and Abel. We also saw uh, the brokenness and the hope through our Teen Challenge friends. And then with the Good Samaritan, we got to see brokenness, hope, Levite and the priest walking on the other side of the road. And how our relationship with God impacts our relationship with others. We're in James 2. That's what we've been looking at. And you don't have to turn there. We're, we're not, that's just where we're at in our sermon series. We're going through James. And James is really kind of hitting that hammer on the head of just how you treat others as a reflection of your relationship with God. And here's the point, right? Any life that wants to be whole has to start with God because that's where things were, went wrong. There's a reason why the very first commandment is still the first commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So the story of the Bible is that each of us, right, have defied God, dethroned God. You could even say we've de-godded God to make ourselves God. Put it another way. You know, our vertical relationship with God has been severed. And the result of that is that your heart becomes untethered from its center. And when you have a heart that is untethered from its vertical relationship with God, you begin to see that there is an unhinging of all of your horizontal relationships. As soon as this gets cut, we begin to see all of this go sideways. Who today has not felt in the exact same motion with Cain that fatal spiral down? Cain, a member of the family, moves to becoming a murderous fugitive by hardening his heart towards God, hating his brother, and then, bang, taking matters into his own hands, homicide. It's that fast. Hardening our hearts against God turns to hating our brother, turns to taking matters into our own hands, homicide. Instead of cleansing his heart before God, Cain decided to cleanse the world of the other, his brother. Did you find it ironic that he kills the brother that he should be keeping? This is Genesis chapter 4. As if the exit of Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden is not bad enough, the downward spiral of Eve's firstborn son, Cain, should make the strongest of us stagger and sway. Oh, pastor, I've never excluded anyone to the point of elimination. Friend, have you forgotten that story from the Good Samaritan? The story of the Good Samaritan taught us that you don't have to violently eliminate someone to exclude the other. 
you can erase somebody by your indifference to them. It's as simple as walking on the other side of the street. Not my problem. I'm going to ignore those needs. I'm going to go over here. Exclusion is easy in our culture. We discriminate to demonize, to dehumanize, to drive out of our life either through violence or silence. What defiance to get in the very face of God and say, well, tell me, God, who is my neighbor? What defiance to get in front of God and to put it in the words of Cain, am I my brother's keeper? You can hear the irony. Is the one who looks after sheep in needing of having a shepherd? That's what happens. A faulty heart in worship, the vertical, leads to a wiping out of those created in his image, the horizontal, all which leads the haunting voice of God who is a preacher to ask, what have you The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. Don't we need God's questions in our life? They went like this for Cain. Why are you angry? Where is your brother? To which he should have been able to say, he's right here with me. Or I've talked with him. He'll be here in a moment. He's on his way. But instead, we get that last question, what have you done? Those are the questions that I think reach every single person's conscience. I think they're even questions that America is trying to answer right now. Why are you angry? Where is your brother? Who's my neighbor? Who's my brother? What have you done? And so like the blood of Abel, there are blood of Americans who are crying out from the ground for justice. But unfortunately, the answers that are posited by both sides perpetuate the problem of separating the vertical from the horizontal. One side cries, love God, while neglecting loving your brother, loving your neighbor. And the other side cries, love your neighbor, and it forgoes love God. It seems like we are living in a world in which the divide between the spiritual and the social, it's almost complete. And here we are coming to the communion table as a church, and we get to say as the church in the middle to the world, let me tell you about Jesus where justice and mercy meet. When the blood of my Savior's wounds fell upon the ground that day at Calvary, and it hit the ground it produced something better than the blood of Abel, Hebrews tells us. When the blood of Jesus fell upon the ground and it hit the ground, we learn in the Bible that justice was upheld. God held Jesus accountable for all of the sins of the human race. And he willingly made a payment for all of our sins. Payment had been made. 
a perfect substitute had been found. And more than that, for him, vindication was secured. And so now, because of God's mercy, even the worst among us, the most calloused among us who live in our congregation can be born again without the forfeiture of justice. Mercy and justice meet at the cross. And the message of the gospel is the source of power through which change takes place. Lasting change. Our world wants change right now, but without the message of the gospel, yes, maybe you can exact a more righteous payment, but you'll never collect cultural change. You may be able to require retribution, but you will never be able to achieve reconciliation. In the name of Abel, people are marching the streets and they want to hold men accountable. But without the message of the gospel, you will never make men capable. Without Jesus, we can have the ability to punish, but we cannot produce change. What I'm saying is this, justice is incomplete without the cross. Why do I know that? Because human nature requires an internal heart change. So without Jesus, every human gain in the world is limited in its range. Don't misunderstand me, okay? The world says no justice, no peace. But it is incapable of getting there because it does not have the resources. If you're here and you're a non-Christian, think with me. What hope does the world have if it understands every single human to be just an animal produced by evolutionary biology, and yet we still want to have universal, indiscriminate human rights? How will we ever treat someone as my brother if we don't have an Our Father? What hope does the world have if truth is relative? That's what the world says. Everybody has to decide for themselves what is right and wrong. You need to do you, and you need to be the best you that you can be. If truth is relative, how do you have anyone who is willing to give up power and privilege and self-sacrifice and self-give for the good of another, for the good of a neighbor, a brother? How can the world maintain any ethic of compassion, mercy, or justice when the soil in which that grew, that soil is namely this, that there is a God, that we were created in his image, that male and female both have dignity being created in God's image, and that all of mankind, male and female together, every single person is held accountable to this God. And when that is denied, how do you maintain compassion, mercy, justice. Oh, Josh, that's just common sense. Everybody knows you're supposed to be compassionate, merciful, fair. Really? Everybody knows that. Let me just give you a couple quotes in closing. Aristotle, smartest guy in the room. Would you agree? Okay, Aristotle, smartest guy in the room. This is what he said. When you look at some groups of people, you can just tell that they're born to be slaves. Common sense? Now, I don't know how Charles Darwin did not get lumped into some of this stuff, right? But he somehow bypasses it, according to my research. You can prove me wrong, send me an email, I'd love to hear it. But Charles Darwin applies survival of the fittest to human races. This is what he says. 
looking to the world at no very distant date, what an endless number of the lower races will have been eliminated by the higher civilized races throughout the world. We're going to look at people like this and realize that the world does not have the resources to eradicate evil. So yes, it's great to hold up a sign that says no justice, no peace. Great. Let me give you a better sign. No Jesus, no chance. Only Jesus self-giving on the cross to embrace enemies can change us. And only embracing the Christian gospel will prove strong enough to reverse how we exclude one another based upon externals. Did you know that my Jesus can take a self-righteous Jew and turn him into a preacher of the gospel to the Gentiles? Saul of Tarsus. The gospel does that because at the cross, justice and mercy meet. And that's one of the reasons why I think the cross is so compelling. If you're here and you're not a Christian, why should you listen to the cross? Because every single person is in trouble. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And when you are guilty, what do you want? Mercy. Will God give you a break? Will he compromise? God can't compromise. So instead of compromising justice to show mercy, he actually demonstrates justice on his son willingly so that he can show mercy to us. Romans 3.26. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. Faith family, did you know that you can go from being self-justifying to having God justify you? The, the man that tests Jesus who wanted to justify himself, says, okay, God, will prove it. Who is my neighbor? That's all of us before Christ, trying to self-justify why we deserve and why we've upheld God's standard. But we can't uphold God's standard to love the Lord God with our heart, soul, and mind and to love our neighbor as ourself. So we need God to justify us. He does that in Christ. If you're here and you're not a Christian, look at the cross, look at Christ, and see that God is just dealing with sins, and merciful at the same time to change sinners to saints. And if you're here as a Christian, my brother and sister, you get to look at the cross through communion again and see the attributes of God singing together in harmonious unity. God's justice upheld. He's righteous. The payment's been paid in full, and yet he can be merciful to the most callous and hard-hearted of us. If you'd like to receive communion with us, it is for those that ha can remember where God has been just and merciful to them. If you're walking in fellowship with the Lord and you have a clean conscience before you, we invite you to take the elements. Wait for us. We can take it as one, loving our neighbor as ourselves. We don't rush it, right? And we'll remember Christ's death and resurrection, how it changes us. If the men would like to come forward, we'll take communion together.